So it's great to see you today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. You worship with us. You're always welcome anytime. And probably in that seat in front of you, there's a little Connect card. You can fill that out, put it by later. We'd love to have you. I'm looking forward to Connect Night. Man, I love Connect Night. And uh, it's one of the highlights of, of we do it a couple times a year. And, and tonight, what I'm excited about is Debbie and I are starting a new Connect group along with uh, Ken and Cindy Adcock. Our Connect group, if you're in your 20s and 30s, whether you're single or a couple, man, you're welcome to come to our Connect group. Now, my wife said that was just a shameless plug no one else got to do. And I'm like, I know, I'm a pastor. I can do some of that stuff like that. So we just love you. And I know you're thinking, oh, those two old guys. Well, yeah, we're a couple of crusty old guys, but our wives are nice and they're young looking and they're pretty. And, they're, and they'll, you'll like them a lot. And, and from Ken and I, you'll, you'll learn new phrases and new ways of looking at life and stuff like that. So our 830 service is our... Um, is our traditional service. It, it, it is when um, we sing hymns and do the traditional things. And it's our smallest of our services. And, you know, sometimes there's a reputation, unfairly, really, of not a lot happening. But today, that, that service was so cool. First of all, we had two families join our church, which is always cool. But we had a guy in his 80s. And, and he came down, he's in a, in a walker. And, and he came down and, and he said, and he was talking to one of the ministers, and I came over and talked to him. He said, I need to get my life to Christ and make professional faces. I said, well, that's great. He said, I, I made one when I was younger, but it wasn't real. And I've lived my whole life without peace. He said, I'm, I'm tired of that. And he said, I, I, I want peace in my life. And so, you know, he gave his life to Christ, which was amazing. You don't know how much courage that takes because he has spent his life with people thinking he's a follower of Jesus. He, outside afterwards, I called him and I said, man, I'm so glad you came. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, this is the first day I have ever had peace. Can you imagine that? Can you think of being in your 80s and everybody thinking you're a follower of Jesus and you kind of pretending you're a follower of Jesus and the whole time you're miserable because you don't have peace with God. I mean, I, I, I'm going to be 59 in a few weeks. I gave my life to Christ was nine. When I was nine, I can't imagine living 50 years pretending to be something I'm not and miserable the whole time. And he said, today I have peace with God. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. We're in a series entitled, They Saw Him Alive. It's about the fact that after Jesus was dead and he was raised back to life, people saw him alive and it changed their life. It changed their lives. And two weeks ago, we started by being in 1 Corinthians 15 and seeing there was a whole bunch of people who saw Jesus, but there were three in particular. Paul mentions himself, Peter, and James, the brother of Jesus. Now, we saw Peter last week. We're going to see Paul next week. But today we're going to focus on Peter. And you've got to understand this. Peter was a guy who, while Jesus walked this earth until his resurrection, you know, he did not believe his brother was the Savior. He lived with the guy all his life and didn't believe him to be the Savior. So today we're going to come and we're going to see James, the unbelieving brother, and we'll be in those passages in a minute. But before we get there, here's what I want you to see in this message. Here's what I want you to think about. It's cool. James was not a follower of his brother, Jesus, and then he was. And then he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. 
And then he gave one of the greatest principles, one of the greatest statements of the entire New Testament. What happened? Simple. He saw the resurrected Jesus. It's the only explanation. And with understanding that this radical change came in the life of a man who grew up with Jesus, but didn't believe him all that time, until he saw Jesus, who was supposed to be dead, alive. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start by just talking about a former unbeliever, this is cool, who became the advocate for Gentile believers. James was an unbeliever, an unbelieving Jew, who ended up giving the fundamental principle by which we have today to help Gentiles or help people come to Christ. Not Gentiles, but people come to Christ. He became an advocate of all those unbelieving Gentiles. He was Jewish. Now, the New Testament talks about four James. One James is, uh, he's, 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 it's insignificant for the purpose of Christianity. It's significant to his family. But he is uh, James, the father of the apostle Judas. Now, there were two apostles, two disciples named Judas. One was Iscariot. If you're the other Judas, you don't ever want to be confused with him. So he was like, James, I'm not Iscariot. I'm James. I am the, I mean, I, I'm Judas. I'm the son of James. I'm Judas Jameson. That's my dad. Oh, that's one James. Another James was actually an apostle. There were two apostles named James. He was called James the Less. He probably preferred to be called James the son of Alphaeus because nobody wants to be called something the Less. I don't want to go through life, that's David the Less. You want to call me David the More, that's fine. If you want to call me David the Supreme you know, Chancellor of the Dark Side, I don't have a problem with that either. I just don't want to be the Less. Then there was James, the son of Zebedee, who was also an apostle and the brother of John. He was important. He was killed early. Acts 12 talks about his death. And there's this other James. He is the brother of Jesus. He is the one who wrote the book called James. Probably the first book chronologically written in the New Testament. But he didn't start off as the father. In fact, when we come to the book of John, chapter 7, verse 1, this is what we see. John 7, 1. After these things, after the things that occurred in chapter 6, about six months after that, actually, Jesus was walking in Galilee, that's northern Israel, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, that southern Israel, where Jerusalem was, because the Jews were seeking the killing. All right, you know, he wasn't ready to be killed yet, so that was fine. Verse 2 says this. Now, it was the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, or what we call tabernacles, was near. That's a, that's a harvest feast. Celebrate the harvest. And verse 3 tells us this, therefore, his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea. You know, the place where they want to kill you. Go there. Yeah, that's good brotherly advice. So that your disciples, we're not one of them yet, we're not disciples by the way, also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly like the Messiah. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So what they're basically saying is, look, if you're the Messiah... Then you need to go to Jerusalem and you need to declare yourself to the side so everybody knows. In other words, prove it to us. Why did they say these things? Well, verse 5 tells us. For not even his brothers were believing in him. They didn't believe. Who were his brothers? James. Another one named Joseph. One named Simon. And then Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. And then he has some sisters. None of them believed. It's crazy. And what happened? Because we come to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, the first chapter. We're, we're 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, right? And uh, 
in verse 14 of Acts 1 tells us this, that all the believers, says all the believers were together, including his brothers. So Acts 1.14 tells us his brothers, including James, they're now believers. They weren't believers, now they're believers. What happened? Well, Paul, we looked at it a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Paul says this, at least about James, that the Lord appeared to him. Jesus appeared to his non-believing brother James. He said, here I am. He appeared to him. That's crazy. And now James is a believer. But not only is he a believer, get this, he becomes the head of the church at Jerusalem. You look at the church at Jerusalem, who's in charge? Not Peter. Peter is still, you know, the leader of the pack. We saw last week. But Peter's doing a lot of other stuff. The other apostles, they're all over the world sharing stuff. He becomes the leader. And in Acts 15, we come to a critical part where James shows his leadership. Now, to understand Acts 15, I go back a little ways. Remember last week in Acts 10, if you were here, we saw that Peter had his vision from the Lord that it was no longer inappropriate for him as a Jew to go into the home of Gentiles. Jews did not associate with Gentiles. But in order for the gospel to spread, Jews had to quit doing that. He went into the home of a Gentile, Cornelius, and, and he got saved. The Holy Spirit came. And then Gentiles start becoming believers. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, who were located in Antioch, they take an evangelistic journey into what they called Asia Minor. We would call it Turkey. And they went there and they started sharing the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. And Gentiles start believing. Gentiles are just believing and believing. This is about 48 AD, about, 30, about 18 years after the resurrection of Christ. Now, as they leave that area of Asia Minor and come back to Antioch, these guys came into Galatia and came into Asia Minor, and they were what we call Judaizers. Judaizers were Jews who were followers of Christ, who said, though, you have to become Jewish to become a follower of Jesus. You have to become Jewish. You have to be circumcised. You have to obey the law. You have to do all the Jewish things in order to be saved. And, and Paul writes this letter. We call Galatians. He probably wrote it about 48, 49. It's probably his first letter. He wrote it most likely before the events in chapter 15. Otherwise, he would have included these events. And he just, he just annihilates these guys. He said, you're adding to grace works of the law. You're adding circumcision. You're adding the law. And he just condemns them. Paul basically says, you guys just need to all go to hell. That's, that's the viewpoint he had. He was rough. And he wrote this letter. And now he's at Antioch. And he has to deal with it there. Because these same group of guys, they're coming up from Jerusalem. And they're going to Antioch saying, you've got to be circumcised. And you've got to follow the law. And you've got to become Jewish to be Christians. And so they've had enough. And so they decide, the church just says, y'all go down. You guys go to Jerusalem and work this out. So Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem. And we pick up in Acts 15. And Peter's there. Yeah, leave the pack, Peter's there. And, and James is there. Okay? We're not quite there quite yet. Hang on a second. And they're all down that way. And so they come, and, and, and when they get there, they have this meeting, this, this, this kind of council coming together. And so Peter kind of begins, and he starts talking. He starts talking about the things that, that, that happened back in you know, Acts 10. He says, you guys remember that, don't you? That I mean, was years ago, but, you know, I started going to the Gentiles. Gentiles become believers. And then in Acts 15, verse 8, this is what Peter says. Peter says, the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but if the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you've already been saved. Ain't nothing left to be done. You're saved. You, if the, you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved. He said the Gentiles had the Holy Spirit. Then, 
This is what happens. In verse 9 of chapter 15, he says, And God, he doesn't make any distinction between Jew and Gentile. In other words, we're all the same to him now. There's no distinction. In verse 10, he says, So why are you taking the law, which was a burden we could not as Jews bear? We couldn't keep the law. Why are you taking this burden and you're placing it on the necks, on the backs of the Gentiles? Why are you doing that? In verse 11, he says, For we're saved by grace. Gentiles and Jews were all saved by grace, nothing else. It's pretty definitive. Then Paul and Barnabas start talking, and they say, and they're counting everything that happens. And then James decides to speak. So in chapter 15, verse 13, this is what we see. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Now at this point, you know, they're in Jerusalem. This is the head of the Jewish Christian church. I mean, the Christian church is primarily Jewish at this point, I mean, at least in Jerusalem anyways. And he's the head. And so you can imagine that you guys are saying, all right, James is going to speak. It's going to work in our favor. James says, listen to me. And then in verse 14, he reminds them, Simeon, which is the Aramaic form of Simon, Simon Peter, has related already. How God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So he's kind of reiterating what what, what Peter had said. Then in verse 15, he says this. With these words of the prophets agree. With this, this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So he's going to refer to the prophets. Now, the prophets is one of the ways they talked about their scripture, what you and I call the Old Testament. It's called the prophets. Now, here's the thing that those guys believed. And we've already seen this last week. We need to remind ourselves. Those guys believe, because Jesus believed, as we know from Matthew 5, 17, that the Old Testament, the scriptures in the Old Testament, points to Jesus. If you've been here very long at all, you've heard me say, said hundreds of times, the Old Testament is a book of promise. The New Testament is a book of fulfillment. It, Old Testament points to Jesus. Now, if you don't understand the Old Testament that way, you've got a problem. If you don't understand the Old Testament points to Jesus fulfilling it, you disagree with Peter. You disagree with Paul, you disagree with James, and you disagree with Jesus. So you're probably going to be wrong at that point. Because they all say, the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus. So then he's going to quote from the book of Amos. Amos was written 800 years before this event. And Amos, who's a classic old school prophet, I mean, he just lets the people of Israel have it. And he talks about their destruction and God's judgment, but at the very end of it, in chapter 9, verse 11 and 12 and 13, the very end, he talks about the restoration of God's people. And in it, he talks about a place for the Gentiles. So, verse 16 is James quoting from, from Amos. After these things, I, that is God, will return. He's quoting. And I will rebuild the tabernacle or the tent of David, which is fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. So that the rest of, notice this, mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So James is saying, remember Amos, 800 years ago? He talks about what we're seeing right now, about the Gentiles coming to the Lord. So, in verse 19, he gives this great statement. It's just easy to just blow past it and not get it, but it's so important. This is what James says. He is the leader of the church of, of Jerusalem. Therefore, therefore, being in light of everything else, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Now, if you have the NIV, it says, it is my opinion that we don't make it difficult 
for them. Now, the word judgment or opinion has the idea of conviction. Having listened to different things, I am convicted of something. What are you convicted of, James, the head of the church at Jerusalem? I am convinced that we do not make it difficult. We do not make it hard for the Gentiles to turn to God. The idea of turning is to leave behind the old way of life. They are leaving behind, get this, paganism to turn to God. They don't want to be pagans anymore. They don't want to be lost anymore. They don't want to be at odds with God anymore. They want to be right with God through Jesus. So let's not make it hard for them by adding the burden of being Jewish with it. Because it didn't work for us. And we're Jewish. And it won't work for them. It is one of the key statements in all of the New Testament. But James isn't through. Because he's got a word for these Gentiles. So he goes on. This is what he says in verse 20. But that we write to them, the Gentile believers, that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Four things they need to kind of abstain from. Now, this can be a little bit confusing, so let me go to verse 21 to get some clarity and I'll come back. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him. In other words, all the cities have, have synagogues, have you know, Moses being preached, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, what is the, one of the fundamental things that Moses taught? He taught this, that when you're God's people, you are separated from the pagan world to God. That being Jewish is a matter of separation to God. And you separate yourself. Now, the things that are talked about in verse 20 are things that mark separation of God's people. Now, what happens is we look at those and we kind of scratch in our head back, you know, 2,000 years later because we're saying, okay, you don't have to be Jewish to become a follower of Christ. But these are Jewish things. Now, some people take this, and it's kind of two views, a moral view and, and uh, you know, a, a view kind of, of of the normal laws of the uh, cleansing laws and all that. And some of them take it ceremonial laws. And some of them take the moral, like this is your moral things. Don't commit adultery, fornication, don't murder, which they get from strangle, and don't be idolaters. The problem is, James didn't need to say that. That was already understood. And if you read those verses, those, those, that, that verse, it doesn't sound like that. I mean, strangled, you get, you get murder from strangled. They're talking about strangling animals, the whole blood thing. And that really doesn't fit. Some people say that it's ceremonial. That they're speaking of things of the Jewish ceremonial law, so the cleansing laws and how you cook your food and all that. The problem is, James just got through saying, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. And those are Jewish things. So maybe we need to understand this a little bit differently. Maybe what James is reminding them of is those four things, contaminated by idols, fornication, strangled, and with blood, have to do with the things that pagans did in their worship and in their everyday life and in their celebrations. And so what he's saying is when you come out of paganism, you can't go back to that way of life. Paul talked about in Corinthians about eating meat offered to idols. Does it mean anything? No, but to some people it's a problem. Don't do it. So he's saying don't don't participate in your old way of life. Don't go to the festivals where you eat meat that's once been offered to idols. That's offensive to your brothers in Christ. Don't involve in fornication, period. Now what he's saying there is those those festivals, those those times of celebration, oftentimes, you know, they kind of ended up in in debauchery and fornication. So that was the end result. Don't go there. And and, you know, they they don't sacrifice to animals, right? They, They cook things in blood. These are things, this is your old way of life. 
So in order now to be considered fully a follower of Christ, to give evidence of that, you leave your old life behind. This is a reasonable expectation. Don't live like pagans. So what you get from James are two principles that are critical now in the life of the church. The first is this, to the church, we need to stop making it hard for people to follow Jesus. Don't make it hard. They want to follow him. Why are you making it tough? Why are you adding things? Don't make it hard. But the second thing is this. Once you follow Jesus, don't go back to the life you left behind. That was a life of rebellion. That was the life of you at God, at odds with God. That was the life that was causing you all that trouble. Don't go back to that life. And with those two statements, James changed the Christian movement. Because now they had two fundamental principles when they went into the world. And look, Paul, Paul was going to do Paul's thing anyways. So Paul was cool. But everybody else, they need to know, okay, we can't make it hard anymore for people to come to Christ. And oh, by the way, but when you come to Christ, you, you kind of need to leave your old life behind. What, what, why was James, who was not a follower of Jesus, why was he able to come up with this just brilliant understanding of what's to happen? Simple. Because seeing the resurrected Jesus mattered. It did. And we've got to understand, when you talk about Peter, and you talk about Paul, and you talk about James, who we're looking at over these three weeks, and you can include John and other guys, I don't get all that. They fundamentally altered the Christian movement. They carried out what Jesus said to do. Jesus told them what to do, and they did it in such a way that they, they, they changed the world, and they changed the way Christians were perceived, and they changed the way we probably think about Christ now because they saw the resurrected Jesus. I mean, James was not a believer. I mean, he was his brother. And think about it. His brother Jesus, he was older, so he got special treatment because he was older. And, you know, he was a goody two-shoes. He never got in trouble. Any of you have a brother or sister that never got in trouble? Yeah, that probably happened. Brother and sister never, ever got in trouble. My little sister, 11 years younger, she never got in trouble. Brat. Oh, man. Never did any of that stuff. And yet, why? now all of a sudden he's healing people. And everybody's following. I'm not going to believe him. And then what happened? After Jesus was dead, he was alive. And he appeared to James and said, okay, now I believe. And his life changed. Here's the thing. Like Peter, James fundamentally altered the direction of the Christian movement. Because he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. So think about it. So when people come to Christ today, one of the things we encourage them to do, and want to encourage them to do, is not to go back to the way things once were. When you become a follower of Christ, don't go back to your old way of life. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, James didn't. James' old way of life as a Jew was to tell folks, you know, hey, Gentiles, you're not included in what we're doing. And when James became a follower of Christ, he said, no, that's not, that's wrong. You know, we now need to move forward and, and to accept Gentiles. Think about what your life was like before you became a follower of Jesus, especially if you became a follower of Jesus as an adult. Think about what your life was like. You don't want to go back to that way of living, do you? I was saved when I was nine, but my life before I came to Christ wasn't all that bad. I was a pretty good kid. I mean, it was eight. When I'm, how much sinning can I do before you're nine years of age, you know? But I, I know how I am. I know my personality. 
And I know that if I didn't become a follower of Jesus, I know how I would have lived. And I thank God I never lived that way. I thank Christ that he saved me from ever being that way because I wouldn't ever want to live that way. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't want to live like people who aren't followers of Jesus. Now, that's not what saves us or keeps us saved. But part of the evidence of my following Jesus is I don't live like people who don't follow Jesus. That's kind of a distinguishing characteristic. So once you become a follower of Christ, you don't want to go back to your way of life. But the key thing, though, is helping people become a follower of Christ. And so to us who are followers to a church, here's the thing. We can't make it hard for people to follow Jesus. But we do sometimes. Oh man, we do. And I, I, you know, I, think of, I think of the church that I grew up in, and, and those are good people, and, and, and I have good memories, but we made it so hard for people who were outside the church to come to Christ. Most of the people who came to Christ just like me, they just grew up in the church. Because we did some things, and, and churches did them, and churches still do them. For one thing, we would tell people they have to change their behavior. <laughs> Listen, you know, the way you're living your life is unacceptable to God. Well, that's true. But you've got to change before, you know, you can come to church and you have to change before God accepts you. And that's not true. And, you know, back when I was growing up, you know, if you were an alcoholic or a drug addict, we didn't want you in our church. We just didn't. You know, you straighten up. You sober up and you quit being an addict and you can come. And if you, you know, if you were living with somebody outside of marriage or you had a lifestyle that's different than what's acceptable to the Lord, we really didn't want you in our church. No, man, no. You ever, can you believe there are still, and there are still churches that think this way. And, and I, I mean, it was, uh, wasn't that long ago, this, a Baptist church of all places. I can't believe They weren't Southern Baptists. They were really Baptists at all, if you ask me. You know, kept saying, God hates certain groups of people. Oh, man. God hates, well, they're not coming to Jesus. Thank you very much. God doesn't hate people. God loves people. He really does. He just doesn't accept their lifestyle. They're rebelled against him. And we, and we would tell, if you were an atheist, oh man, you know, listen, if you're an atheist, you probably don't want to come to our church because you know, people who don't believe in God aren't allowed. And so what do we do? We tell people, we don't want you. And Jesus doesn't want you until you change. And we made it hard for people to come to Christ. And the other thing we would do, one of the things we would do, is we tell folks they have to believe or do certain things. Listen, you know, you need to believe certain things. You need to believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And you need to believe that God created everything in seven days. And you need to believe a certain way, you know, in the second coming of Christ. And if you don't believe these things, you can't be a part of us. you got to believe this way if you want God to accept you. And you got to do certain things. you got to be baptized, even though in Acts chapter 8... The Ethiopian was saved, and then he was baptized. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was saved, and then he was baptized. In Acts 16, the Roman soldier was saved, and then he was baptized. We keep saying, no, you've got to be baptized to be saved, even though the whole of Scripture says that's not true. You've got to believe and do certain things. And here's the cool thing that we know as followers of Jesus. If you have any sense of what the Scriptures the New Testament teaches, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 what you have to do and believe. It's real simple. You have to believe, or you have to confess with your mouth. You have to do this. You have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. That's not that kind. Jesus is Lord. And you've got to believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. That's it. 
Got to believe that God created the world. Don't have to believe that. Got to believe the Bible is the word of God. Don't have to believe that. You got to believe. No, no. One thing Paul says to believe. God raised Jesus from the dead. Because Christianity rises or falls in the resurrection of Christ. We make it so hard on people. And the other way we make it hard on people is this. We just never tell them about Jesus. And that's the hardest thing of all. Hey, listen, you need to come to Christ, but I'm never going to tell you about Jesus. So good luck. I mean, the one thing of all things we're supposed to do is tell people about Jesus. So why do we make it so hard for people to come to Christ? So thankful we have a church that even though we say there's certain things that God accepts and doesn't accept, he still wants you to come. And we don't care who you are. We don't care how you live in your life. We don't care about your problems. We don't care about what you believe. We don't care about your background. We don't care about who you're living with. We want you to come here so you can learn about Jesus. He'll change your life. And once he changes your life, guess what? You don't have to go back to that life anymore. You know, the biggest problem people have isn't what they believe or how they behave. Their biggest problem is they don't know Jesus. And they don't follow him. So let's do this. Let's just say for our church that we're not going to make it hard for people to follow Christ. And if you follow Jesus, this is what we ask. Just don't go back to your old way of life. Just don't live that way anymore. That's not easy. It's hard. We'll help you with it. But that's what really following Jesus is all about. Some of you today, you need to follow Jesus. You've never trusted Christ to be your Savior. And so what you need to do is you need to confess that he is Lord and you need to believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. He'll save you. In just a moment, we have our invitation. We'll be here. You can come and talk to one of us, but you can do that right where you're at. Right where you're at, you can follow Jesus. In a little while, when we're singing, there'll be a number up on a screen. You can text something on that screen, and we'll get with you because you want to give your life to Christ. You can put it on a connect card. You can come, you know, and see us after the service, whatever. But you need to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And some of you will follow him, but you keep getting drawn back into your old way of life. And I know it's tough. So maybe you just want to come and pray with us and say, David or whoever, just pray with me so I can leave that old way behind. And we'll pray with you. Maybe you want to come and talk to us at some point. You come and talk to us. People do that all the time. Listen, make a commitment to leave the old life behind. Before a lot of you who are followers of Jesus, you just need to start telling people about Jesus and quit making it so hard for them to come to Christ. Share Jesus. Maybe you have another prayer request. You want to come and maybe, I don't know, you just you want to join our church. We'd love to have you. I, I don't know what it is today you need to do. Here's what I know. Don't make it hard for people to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, just don't go back. Don't go back to your old way of life. So, Father, thank you. James believed after he didn't because of the resurrected Christ. It's the only reason any of us can believe. And in his belief, he gave us two phenomenal statements that are principles that shape the direction of the Christian faith. Help us not make it hard for people to follow Christ. May God let them follow Jesus. And when they follow Jesus, help them turn away from their old life. Father, we love you. We love Jesus. We want to see people come to faith in him. So our prayer now 
It's in the name of the Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will follow Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? There'll be folks here to greet you if you come. You come.